0: Fred from Prudential. Have you thought about your insurance needs today? If so, give me a call at
1: 1 800 NERSH
0: and have a wonderful day.
2: Hit me.
1: From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for Suck a Tash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark
3: Hershon.
4: Yes, time once again for Suckatash. I am Mark Hershon. How are you? This is the Comedy Podcast podcast, and uh, thanks for tuning in, downloading, checking us out. However you managed to get here, we're glad you made the trip. Um... We are coming to you from Studio P in Sausalito, California, the home of the hit. Uh, and uh, we have a, a thrill-packed episode, so I'm not going to blather on too much. But I want to thank uh, the folks that have been uh, retweeting our tweets, been talking about our Facebook page and stuff. So thank you very much. We're up to, I believe, almost 800 downloads now. So we're uh, climbing the charts, And we're actually getting uh, ratings on iTunes finally, which is fantastic. We have, at last count, five five-star ratings. So uh, I think that means we're a success in our minds. Um, anyway, we have a great show. We have uh, several clips. We're going to be hearing from Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. We're going to be hearing from the Radio Rubber Room. Uh, We also have uh, some more Will Durst, uh, Burst of Durst coming up, Sklarborough Country, the Sal and Angelo podcast, and a good chunk of the interview I did with Rick Overton when he was in town last week. If you don't know Rick Overton, comedy legend, been around the scene for a very long time. And as a special treat, uh, before uh, the next episode of Suckatash, we'll be uh, uploading... The entire interview I did, we didn't have time to do the whole thing in today's podcast, so I will upload the entire Rick Overton interview in about a week or so. So uh, let's get right to the show, and we will start with uh, a clip from Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. Here, Michael Ian Black and Tom Cavanaugh, for the very, very first time, have uh, a guest in the studio. This was show 22, I believe, for them. And their guest is executive producer of Late Night with David Letterman, uh, Rob Burnett.
5: Shall I bring the snack out? Yes. All right. I'm so excited about what this snack could be. I, I honestly don't know, and and it's... I just know when I pull this out, I'm going to get no. No, Rob. you're not going to get trouble. There's no trouble in the <laughs> snack game. It's very, very classic. Some form of pretzel, probably. That is classic. That is classic. It, what did I just say? I said some form of pretzel. You were exactly and right. I said some form of pretzel, and it is some form of pretzel. It's, wow, it's Snyder's... <laughs> Sourdough Hard Pretzels. Snyder's sn- sn- Sourdough Pretzels. Oh, God, I'm so happy to have this on. America's Pretzel Bakery since 1909. The second biggest uh, snack company in the country. Did we have pretzels. Yes, Snyder's?
6: You know, I, 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 I Wikipedia'd this, Wikipedia'd this, only because I thought... Is this a regional snack? I didn't want to come here uh-huh. and then Tom is from Canada. Who knows what they do up there? They, you know, they even have pretzels. Like, 50 have
5: pretzels? P- 50% pretzel diet in Canada.
6: Okay, <laughs> so I was wrong. And I just wanted to make sure that it was a, you know, a full wide-ranging and it and it was very it was amazing and I believe it said that Snyder's of Hanover produces is the second largest snack producing company uh, co- company in the country? There's no way that's can't true. be true. Not a chance. close to being true? No, Frito Lay would be number one. And Snyder's of Hanover. That is. And then there's just no chance. There's just no chance. There's just, there's just no yeah, chance. Pick, say another one. Uh, Crafts, Crafts. Three, Hostess. Three. Four.
5: <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean,
6: <laughs> no, I, I know them all. There's one interesting <laughs> thing about eating Snyder's of Hanover pret- yeah. pretzels, and I was waiting to see how you guys did it. Mm-hmm. Very few people. Very few people will take one of these and bite directly into mm-hmm. it. It's always the break off right. and then the bite. And but I know, I can tell you exactly how I generally break it off. Tell us. I take off the pretzel nub first. The, the pretzel, pretzel nub, nub is the little that. nub. This? Yes. The little nub uh, that sort of protrudes from the, the heart shape of mm-hmm. the pretzel. That's usually my go-to thing. Now, it, it, as it, as it happens, I didn't with this one because mine was already broken when it came out of the box. Mm-hmm. Had it not been, I would have taken the nub. And another thing, another way that I, 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 and this goes back to my childhood again, the way I eat Snyder's of Hanover hard pretzels is I suck on them a bit before I before I chew.
5: You want to get that salt fix immediately. Uh-huh. But you want to not suck on it too much because you don't want to just be then eating plain sourdough without any salt.
6: I didn't say that I suck on it
5: so much that I have no salt. I said I suck on it a little bit before I chew. So you don't suck on it so much. I <laughs> suck I suck on it a fair amount. Right, but you still want to have some residue in your mouth. Every time I suck it, I end up with residue in my mouth. Okay, yeah. so that's great. So you want to have a little salt when you eat your pretzel. It is salty. Yeah. The residue is salty. The residue is salty. <laughs> and so... Then I chew. The thing about Snyder's is, one of the reasons I think people don't just bite into this sucker, like you might with a soft pretzel, mm-hmm. is because it, it it's, it's, as on the box it says, a hard pretzel. It is a hard pretzel. And if you were to bite into this guy... I'm going to do it. I'm going to see what, what what occurs. I've got a fresh pretzel here. I'm going to bite into it, and I think there's going to be shards and shattering. Mm-hmm. So let's see what what goes on. Oh, oh, oh. Crumbs everywhere!
6: Oh. An explosion of crumbs! Oh, uh, uh, it's like oh, it's like no. it's like a pretzel grenade what went
5: off. Mean, oh, are you boat. okay? Medic! Oh. Medic! Oh! Medic. Oh! <laughs> Thanks. Oh. <laughs>
4: Mike and Tom eat snacks. I love those guys. I've played them before. I'll play them again. You can find them at matescast.tumblr.com. You can find them on SoundCloud, which is where some podcasts are beginning to pop up. And, of course, on iTunes. uh, Michael Ian Black, Tom Cavanaugh, their guest Rob Burnett. And uh, ah, it's just something funny about guys that just get together to eat a snack item and talk about it. And it's really just an excuse just to go in a room and talk. Uh, Next up, we have uh, a show that is part music show, part comedy show. It's called The Radio Rubber Room. Uh, This booms out of uh, Richmond, Virginia. Their motto is, it's a show that doesn't have any S's in the name, The Radio Rubber Room. It's billed as live music and sketch comedy. The brains behind the operation is Dan Anderson. He actually wrote us to tell about his show. So that was one of the first emails we've gotten. Uh, In this clip, uh, they feature uh, hip-hop artist Black Liquid. Dan and a couple other guys, Derek Vara and Chris Manzetti, uh, or Manzelli, sorry about that, Chris. And uh, another guest, uh, Ian from Grapecloth T-shirts. I'm not sure why he's in the mix, but he's in there. Uh, and anyway, they, uh, they, they are going to be schooled by uh, Black Liquid on why Steven Seagal would win a fight against Chuck Norris.
0: <laughs> so, uh, bl- black man, you are a very uh, well-known uh, um, hip hop figurehead in Richmond, Virginia. Is that correct? Yeah, it would seem so. So, uh, and, and and what do you do, man? What what have you done for the hip hop community that that, that really um, uh, makes it appropriate to say that that you are probably the fastest rising um, uh, hip hop or person in hip hop in Richmond right now? I
7: would say the one thing that I've done for the hip hop community in Richmond is what the hip hop community in Richmond has done for me. And that's in every situation where I felt like there was a shortcoming that could have been, you know what I'm saying, settled for. Uh-huh. I try to either try like, to, to push harder or to, to struggle, you know what I'm saying, even thir- further through it all in order to give them the most clear representation of what it is that hip-hop is to me and what it is inside of me that you know, makes this my clear outlet of expression.
0: So, so when you say uh, you haven't done anything for the hip-hop community that uh, hip-hop hasn't done for you, or mm-hmm. the hip-hop community hasn't done for you, um, you said something about uh, pushing. Yeah. Like, so you push the hip-hop community in Richmond, but they also push push you. Would you oh, say that in a positive way all the time, or sometimes? Oh, no, you're negative?
7: saying it's, they, they push you, you know saying, back sometimes, and they push you forward sometimes. All that matters really is the push. If you know what direction you're headed, you can take that energy and turn it right back. You yeah, Steven Seagal, man, Aikido.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of us, uh, Seagal, man, uh, oh, yes. uh, we also have uh, uh, Ian in the house. Uh, you are representing Grape Cloth. Is that right, Ian? Yes, yeah. sir. Oh, yes, he is. And um, uh, uh, you write uh, blog posts for uh, Grape's uh, blog site, right?
8: Yeah, yeah, I do a little bit of it. Um, we also reach out to the underground hip-hop community in Richmond and allow them to have a voice as well. Uh-huh. Uh, BlackLick has a oh, regular yeah, you know? post for us. Um,
0: oh, yes. Where he talks about Steven Seagal as a matter I of fact. I have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah too much yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes you have to look at life, you
7: know saying, through that kaleidoscope that is Steven Seagal, man. Nice. I mean, he's the law, man. He is, you no, know, he's the law, man. You know he's above the law. Man, it, the, the law is under him. He could be way deep beneath the bottom of the bing with Beanie Siegel filming State Property 12. Yeah, but he'd still be above the law. In a fight, Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris? Steven Seagal, you know why? I'm going to solve this problem for y'all right now. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Get your thinking it. caps on. You, know what you saying? got put a lot of feet, thought behind this. Put your feet, you know what I'm saying, in a bucket of water, you know what I'm saying, and get ready for the lightning bolt. This is why Steven Seagal would crush, well, he wouldn't even crush, but he would destroy Chuck Norris. Because Chuck Norris' main number one move is the roundhouse. And the art of Aikido, also knows the way, takes the energy and momentum that one uses against and turns it against them. So if Chuck Norris has the roundhouse that can tear time and space, It's going to tear him apart. Stagall <laughs> <laughs> will be there to take care of that. Because Stagall is definitely in touch with his five gates and his chi. He's a toku. Come on, man.
0: Wow, in like in like a minute and a half you just solved like one of those unanswered. No, I was talking about his actors. My, my <laughs> actors. What do you mean? It's
7: all the same thing for them. There's no difference. They don't act.
0: <laughs> they are. Walker Texas Ranger. He he's saying the
7: theme song the theme song, man. You know saying Remember, have you have you watched Lawman with Cigars like chasing them bad guys? That's his music, man, Mojo Priest, Thunderbox. Look it up, man. Man, I need to. Yeah, I got my that on yeah, My like, mind is
0: on the back of this wall right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, that's what
7: cigar would do to you, man.
0: You would not be able to talk if that were true.
7: <laughs> man, hey, that's what they all want you to think. with cigar would blow your face off just in case and allow you still to talk.
4: <laughs> that's the uh, Radio Rubber Room uh, at RadioRubberRoom.Podbean.com. They're also actually on the air. Uh, With that show at 102.9 FM in Richmond, Virginia. And of course, on iTunes. Uh, Next up is, uh, you know what? I don't want to say next up. It's a commercial.
1: Friends at Henderson's Pants, we've noticed that adults, teens, and children are not the only ones wearing the pants in the family these days. Believe it or not, even little babies are fond of wearing a well-tailored pant now and again. But up until now, they were limited in their selection of lower body garments in that most of what is available are simply just baby pants. Baggy, shapeless, and with little to show off that fast-developing physique. Henderson's is proud to introduce Henderson's Toddler Trousers. These slick slacks are the kind of infant wear that can make even the most preoccupied paste eater sit up and take notice. The extra layers of material in the knee and buttock help to assure hours of comfortable crawling and soft landings for when baby goes boom. And the bit of extra given the crotch keeps your tyke from that most unsightly of sandbox no-no's, the dreaded diaper toe. Isn't it about time for Junior to crawl out in comfort and style? Henderson's toddler trousers come in a variety of luxurious fabrics, the kind found in the finest men's suits on the market today. But Henderson Serge, Corduroy, and Linenstock has been married with state-of-the-art polyfiber blends, which not only assure years of durable wear, but enough stretchability that today's baby will still be wearing those spiffy duds when it comes time to accept his or her diploma as your now adult offspring graduates from high school. Originally designed for use by Hollywood's little people, jockeys, and chimpanzee astronauts, Henderson's toddler trousers are now available wherever clothes for tiny little humans are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1896. And now, back to Succotash... Uh, thank you, Bill
4: Haywatt, our announcer. Uh, thank you, Hendersons, for continuing to uh, to sponsor Succotash. We love you. Uh, and I love this next guy, Rick Overton. He's been a good friend of mine for a very long time, and I've sort of had him on tap to uh, be a guest on the show since we started. He was at the uh, 142 Throckmorton Theater here in Mill Valley uh, in Northern California just this last week. So I was able to catch up with him before his show and sit him down for a little interview. Uh, we've done improv together. We've written a screenplay together. Uh, we've shared every manner of conspiracy theory together. In this interview, we stay mostly in the light and talk about Rick's comedy and acting career starting at the very beginning. If I were to ask you about the uh, maybe one or two things that you really, uh, when you look back on uh, your career to date, you go, man, that, I was really glad I was part of that. Well,
3: most everything. I gotta say that I'm in the luckiest percentile of humankind. Anyone that gets to do what they want, and then sometimes you get paid, you're on the lucky side of the coin. You're instantly on the other side. You're on the winning side of the coin, regardless of the parameter to which it's a, you're on the lucky side of a penny, nickel, dime, quarter, silver dollar. Sure. Grand. <laughs> you're You're still on the lucky side of it. You're on heads and uh heads is where you do your version of life rather than the one you're told to do and you realize later you you hate but it's too late to start a new one and now you're stuck doing the version you hate and you shouldn't have listened to everybody who told you to do it
4: so um not to equate you with with my experience but i'm gonna bet you really haven't had much of what would typically be called a midlife crisis
3: it's It's been a midlife crisis the entire time. <laughs> and at, at 56, I hope it's the middle of my life. I had a lucky existence thanks to stand-up. And um, it timed it right that someone suddenly started paying for the thing I'd be doing for free at the water cooler somewhere else.
4: So you guys started in 73?
3: Uh, Yeah. Actually, in 71, if you can include the shtick I was doing in high school with my buddy, Tom Pastor. Okay. <laughs> my, my dear buddy in Florida.
4: Was that sketch?
3: It was, uh, yeah, two-man pieces. Uh-huh. We did them in assemblies and stuff. We did a thing called, uh, there was a guy named uh, Neil Bush back in uh, New York who would do a helicopter traffic report and we did a spoof of him where the helicopter engine quits and uh, he's uh, giving up traffic report and he says, uh, I'd avoid Route 4, there's about to be an accident <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we were very proud of that gag for back then and uh, then I, uh, he went off into doing another line of work but he's done very well for himself in that line and so I just saw him Oh, a couple of months ago. Went down to him. visit, yeah. Wow. We talk all the time on the uh, internets. And uh, my buddy Roger Sullivan, now uh, he's back in New Jersey, and he needs a heart transplant. And so we're all keeping our fingers crossed for him wow. okay. that he gets that, because he's a good, good-hearted good man and ought to get a new one.
4: So when you hit the first hit the professional stage, you were actually a, a two-man act with
6: Roger.
3: Yeah, I felt the confidence of a two-person force facing the strangers that took a while to shake in 78 when and i remember after breaking up i'd still have the reflex do a joke look left, no one's there look ahead <laughs> Trained not to look left don't look left don't no, it's not there <laughs>
4: now were you uh a, like a kind of st- classic duo of one guy was a straight guy one guy was the funny guy or did you guys kind of
3: no, swap those roles around? i was more the straight guy but i did a lot of sound effects and we had a little bit of the feeling of Edmonds and curly and uh, oh, okay remember them yeah yeah and uh but we we do all kind we did star wars sound effects and we did uh you name it if it was some sort of drug bits we would have a little Cheech and Chong feel in there too and uh, little Python feel
4: okay
3: all our influences showed up very clearly in our stuff but we had we were starting to make our own flavor but you know it's just hard to split a paycheck when it's so little sure and when it's for free you stay artists (laughs) yeah and oh I love what you did and I love what you did because it's free as soon as it's pay, it's like oh you know that was my premise well that was my (laughs) (laughs) punchline
4: So, so let's talk a little bit about how your your act has evolved over the last forty years, really. I mean, <laughs> oh in terms my of, god! I mean, what did you? What, what, how would you classify your your up first, starting out when you started working without Roger? Were you a monologist?
3: Yeah, observation with weird cartoony twist guy. I had a bit where I'd say I lived in New York at the time, and there were. There was just beginning to be the clean-up after your dog law. Oh, yeah. And I say, well, I don't know why we can't have a little fun with it, turn it into a sport. I was never much of a golfer until I had a dog. <laughs> I think this one requires a nine iron. <laughs> uh,
4: and then you also did, when did the impressions start coming in? Was it right away?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was even doing them in the team a little bit, so okay. I just sort of branching that out a little more. And uh, I had a a good Bruce Dern. Okay. But once I saw Jim Carrey's Bruce Dern, I just said <laughs> I walked up and shook his hand and said, "I'm done with Dern." Wow. You yeah. own him. Uh, I get it. I know when to walk away from an impression. You know, I got enough good ones. I don't need that one anymore.
4: Now, were you ever? In the, yours. Were you ever in the the Jim Carrey position where somebody would come up to you and go, "Ah, uh, you you nailed that one. I can't." i can't
3: find well, connery i don't I haven't seen and I'll be honest as soon as I see a Connery that's better than mine, I'll just go okay, now you have connery mm. I'm done, and i've because I've done that with several impressions i'm I'm done doing certain things I know someone does better. I just want to have the one I got Connery so far, and I'll be thrilled to see the guy that can blow my Connery off the map. I just haven't seen it yet
4: now you're because of uh, the length of time you've been doing stand up I imagine your your connery has sort of aged as. As Connery himself has aged.
3: Yes, <laughs> his voice has gone through several surgeries and uh, he's not been in the scene very much lately so I've got this kind of impression that everyone has to go, oh wait a minute is that Daniel Craig?
4: Hmm. Interesting, yeah I was just watching uh, The Man Who Would Be King last Gosh.
3: week. Peachy. I've gone blind Peachy. <laughs>
4: it's just uh, it's funny. Just I say,
3: to... go over that bridge We don't look back. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, so uh, you start out in,
3: in New York. Yeah, catch a rising star, the Improv on Forty Fourth, the comic strip, the comedy cellar, a little bit of Dangerfields, uh, Alan Dick's Steakhouse. Did a lot of work with Gilbert on the road, and okay. you know the yuck yucks sure. and all that, and we just kill each other on the road. You know, especially if they put us in the same room because they're a real cheap club. Yeah. So it's me and Gil sleeping in the oh, wow. same room on different beds, you know, like some... <laughs> yeah, it,
4: like college dorm.
3: College dorm, you know. <laughs> then I go, I'd say, you don't snore, I won't fart.
4: <laughs> Got a deal, you know. <laughs> now both your, uh, before we sort of get out of, out of the New York era, both your both your folks were performers.
3: Yeah, mom was a cordette, Lollipop, Mr. Sandman. And... Uh, my dad was a jazz musician, who helped uh, form bebop jazz. Wow. If you ever find the Jazz Loft CD series online, Jazz Loft, Jazz Loft. That's my dad's loft. Okay. And, uh, and my dad played comedy records for me in the attic all the time. He played a lot of Jonathan Winters for me, mm. and Newhart, and Cosby, and uh, hit me to Lord Buckley.
4: So that was really and Irwin Corey. So what? What tripped that switch? Uh, that said, this is this is what I want to do. I mean, well,
3: I think once you get a laugh in a classroom, and girls laugh, <laughs> and they won't stop looking at you, the rest of the class, you kind of hooked after that, you know. <laughs> I you just you start thinking to yourself, I have to reshape my whole life so that this defines it now, you know. <laughs> Once I got a couple of cute girls looking at me the whole time and kind of, you know, drawing little cute notes and sending them, you're funny with three E's, you know. Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> so what prompted the move from the East Coast to the West Coast?
3: Chris Albrecht picked up a whole bunch of comedians. So said, you got to come out there, it's just more work.
4: And Chris had been a comic, right?
3: He was a comic along with bob zamuda who now carries on the andy legacy he dresses up in the full makeup for uh, tony clifton tony clifton yeah he uh he was in a team with albrecht uh, zamuda they worked at the hippodrome then he was the manager at the improv and then he became an agent for icm and just gill netted a whole bunch of us and just dumped us on the west coast deck there lots of comics came out for the boom he started us Got me into an HBO special, got me into... Cary uh, Marshall gave me my first movie with Young Doctors in Love. Bud was giving us TV spots at Evening at the Improv. Because and, of Albrecht's muscle. Yeah, and I think we timed it nicely, too, to be who we were when we were who we were then. When it was like the RAF. They had more spitfires than teenagers to stick in them, you know, yeah. in the Battle of Britain. <laughs> they were running out of pilots really quick, and they needed just... just. Well, what's your name? Reg. Get in there. Fly into the sky.
9: <laughs> but my mom says I had to be home by three. <laughs> you will be. Get up there. Hunt in the sun.
4: And uh, also, I guess you started, you know, tailoring material for television, because you're right there in the belly of the beast. Yeah, to clean
3: it up a bunch and tighten it down. and But I didn't do so much of that. That's why I didn't really make it a lot on the late-night shows. I made it on... Bud's late night show because it was just me doing my thing for that they they didn't hit you as hard on your set, right? They let you do your set, but when you get to the big shows, they control your set. And when they do that, it's like I I kind of I didn't know how to fit that all the time. I just do what I do, you know. And I probably could have done a lot better if I was able to play that more, but I wasn't able to adjust to their notes all the time.
4: Yeah,
3: I really find that. I look back, I wonder what it would have been like if I did, but I wonder. If I'd stayed in stand-up as long as I did, and then even longer, would I have, would I have bothered to go into acting at all? Because a lot of the guys, they never got back into acting again, they or they didn't get into acting because the living was there. And then, boom, that red gets pulled away, and there's no second thing. Uh,
4: so what moved you towards towards acting, seeking acting? You, you mentioned the Young Doctors in Love, but... Uh... I always
3: liked it. I liked it when I was in a team. We were acting. Mm. And sketches are quick moments of acting. I always wanted to be in movies. I always had my hero was my other one of my big heroes was Peter Sellers. I wanted to do voices, characters, dialects. And I kind of do that. Sure. Don't always do it, but a lot of the times I get to have a voice that's not exactly mine. I don't I'm not acting like a guy who's me. A lot of some comics they just play themselves right. in the movie. And it's easier to know who they are next. So the upside is you get to be interesting and different every time. The downside is no one knows who the hell you are half the time, yeah. and they and you have to convince them that it was you in the part.
4: I think I think you and I first met on the telephone when I interviewed you for uh, an article in Just for Laughs, an old uh, comedy newspaper. Yeah. Uh, when Willow came out, because they did a piece both on you and on Kevin Pollock because you were both playing the those brownies.
3: Yes. It, uh, and I said, "No small parts, only small actors." <laughs>
4: That's right. I remember the joke. That's right. Uh, but how did when that
3: they be... told me I was going to be twelve inches? Little did I realize. <laughs> dot dot dot. Uh, how
4: did how did that part come about? Was it just straight auditioned? Had somebody seen you? Well, I,
3: I had already worked with Ron Howard in Gung Ho. Mm. That's right. The Michael yeah. Keaton fun movie that we went to Argentina and went to. Uh, Pittsburgh and shot for months and uh, had a great time doing it. And then he brought me in to be one of the brownies for Willow and uh, he, he said, do you have anyone to recommend? And I kind of helped get Kev into the movie there. He would kill me right before a take on purpose. <laughs> he'd wait for the camera to right be rolling and he'd lean in and go, take me home and make me stink. <laughs> and I'd go, hmm? <laughs>
4: And it was really just you two guys, right? I mean, you were all green screen and...
3: Blue back then. You guys were... Blue, blue screen. screen. They, they hadn't had the green figured out yet.
4: You guys were playing 12-inch tall characters.
3: That yeah, An X of tape is Val Kilmer's angry, scolding face. You have to run to a playback and make sure that you're hitting every X of tape with your bare feet because you can't look down or it looks like you're doing a Spencer Tracy. <laughs> So you have to feel it, run, memorize, how many steps to that kind of roughly here? Okay, because if you go too far, you've walked into the middle of a tree that will be in your way or a rock or a thing. And then run from the tennis ball on a stick <laughs> with an X of tape. Run from it. It's scary. Run for the tape.
4: And for, a, for your first kind of large, giant movie, a little bit daunting that that's, that's your acting challenge, I would imagine. It was fun, though. It was good to have a partner. Oh there you are again, yeah, back with the partner.
3: There was the security of having a team and I you know, I've been paired a lot in movies with Peter Scolari and uh mm, yeah. Jerry Downey in Leverage. Uh I the interaction of a freaking a frack. Yes. Is just there's something about it. Yeah. I really like it, you know. People say, No, wait a minute, what are you? Are you this or are you that? Uh, well, they love the
4: pigeonhole in Hollywood, don't they?
3: Yeah, and I say, like, are you do you have expandable RAM? <laughs> Can't they put in three k RAM in your head? Make room for me being two things?
4: Rick Overton. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But as I said earlier, I've wanted to have Rick on the show since we started. And uh, there's something else I've wanted to do since we've started. And that is our musical director, Scott Carvey, who provides the the main music, the music you're hearing right now, as a matter of fact, there it is, for the show, Uh, also does songs, funny songs, uh, regular songs, sad, whatever kind of songs he's got. He's a kind of a musical genius. And uh, so I wanted to feature a, a piece from Scott Carvey. So here's a song of his called Business End.
8: I'm with some child,
1: my action. the nation
10: Make your business elsewhere,
9: baby
2: Business is good Business
10: I'm I live with the business end Yeah, 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 baby You know I'm busy I don't got any time With are no tiny little behind business. I'm, business I'm with the, the business end
4: I the so let's uh, let's uh, get back into sort of uh, where you went uh, once you're in Hollywood. Um, I know that you were, uh, you know, in that consideration pile for Saturday Night Live.
3: Yep, um, got close a couple of times.
4: And what was I mean? What was that sort of uh, process like?
3: it's nerve-wracking and you know they don't they don't make it so easy on you there they want to see if you can take it because that's kind of I guess what live TV would feel like every week Mm. so they make that element sort of reality show oh really added pressure kind of feel to everything you know and see if you can handle that because if you can't what's to say you can handle every every Saturday so you're
4: seeing who you're auditioning with yeah and do they have you just kind of spitballing pieces? Do they give you sketches to do, or they just want you to do something? You bring a
3: couple of characters in, and, you know, I was bringing in some stuff, but never quite, I guess it wasn't what they were thinking about. Wanted it, though, I really, for a few years, I really thought that was it. But the reason I wanted it mostly is because it launches you into movies. Right. So it's kind of like I got there in some way anyway. You played uh,
4: that husband of uh, on um,
3: six feet under. Six feet under. Yeah, Yeah. a
4: a woman who uh, who dies because she thinks the the uh, um, people are going up to heaven.
3: 'Cause a, a truck full of helium inflated love dolls gets right. you into an accident, blows the roof off the panel van and they all start going to the sky and she thinks it's the ascension. Yeah. The rapture. The so rapture. she has to run out and catch it and the truck hits her and,
4: right. and so you're the you're the husband,
3: husband. who thinks it's all God's plan and it's okay that my wife is dead and my son should be happy about it and
4: Yeah. So you've had I mean you've had kind of intriguing little pieces on major pieces of uh, Hollywood moments. I mean, you. I
3: was the killer in NYPD Blue, and uh, that was a. Yeah.
4: That
3: was a pretty serious situation there.
4: Then you were a, a shrink on an episode of Lost.
3: Uh, police. I gave Michelle Rodriguez her badge and gun back. And even now you're... Uh, right. The informant, I was semi-serious. You know, he's kind of funny. He's a farty asshole.
4: Oh, yeah, no, it was, oh, it was great. And uh, what I loved about the informant uh, was how many comics they cast in that in the movie.
3: And everyone and, had to play it totally straight because the only joke is the truth of what happened because yeah. it's an all-true event.
4: Yeah. And so that I thought that was uh, a <laughs> little piece of brilliance. I mean,
3: <laughs>
4: sin... Seeing the Smothers Brothers in roles like that, and-
3: totally delivering the straightest stuff there is. Yeah, and we all loved the chance to do it. And you know, we we were just hugging each other, joking the whole time in between takes. And then, you know, we our our biggest flip out, other than watching Matt. I think it's some of Matt's finest work. Matt Damon did. Uh, he should have been nominated. He got cheated from a nomination on that one. He deserved something for that.
4: Yeah, it was a pretty amazing. That
3: should charm. have gotten way more recognition cuz it's it's one of the stellar things I've seen. And I'm not just talking about him. He does great work every time, but I just I can't think of another person that went further from who they are to mm. be this thing, you know. And we were all flipped out to see Tommy Smothers.
4: I know. How cool was that? Sit
3: around him for a while at lunch and talk. I talked with Dickie Smothers. Yeah. We talked, we had a lunch and uh, you know, there were some, a lot of highlights on that set. Yeah.
4: You're on a, a series that's uh, currently on...
3: Saturdays at 8 on CBS called Chaos.
4: Chaos. It's about a sort of rogue element inside the CIA.
3: Yeah. It's kind of a weird left-wing spy show.
4: Yeah, and you play a, a really interesting character.
3: Operative Blank is kind of the Hank Kingsley <laughs> of the team, the bumbling, knuckle-headed buffoon that... Uh, I, I joked with Tom Speziale about how he came to be, and uh, I thought maybe he was submitted himself for truth serum testing and has done so many tests that he's now too emotionally weird and open to be really trustworthy on a mission. And, uh, he, you know, he wrote, and the, all the writers wrote, just incredibly good stuff. For me to do and there's some things coming up that are unreal
4: that's great i mean it's so fun watching you do that part uh, thanks
3: because
4: <laughs> it is a weird character you just never quite know what he's going to do
3: which is a joy for me yeah and uh, doing stunts and you know
4: yeah um let's talk a little bit about podcasts uh you don't have one of your own but you've you've done uh, some radio stuff and you've been a guest on
3: Feldman a David lot
4: David Feldman comedy podcast
3: yeah I do a lot of voice stuff for him
4: are you on other people's shows or just uh, Feldman's mostly
3: uh, mostly as I intend to do uh, Ramsey Moore's very soon and Jimmy Dore as well um, it's becoming the way communication is occurring in the 21st century
4: um yeah, I mean in talking to my, my producer engineer Joe Polino, we've decided one of the things we want to do with attack is really sort of be a spearhead for to try and teach people that podcasts are the way to go in terms of you don't have to be beholden to a network shows or anymore. You can decide. The sponsors
3: don't tell you what to do. No.
4: You listen to who you want to listen to and the order you want to listen to it. Um,
3: as long as the internet's still accessible, yeah, that will be the way it'll go.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Until um, they start to have tearing of it, right?
4: Right. But for right now, it's you know, hey, free put, internet so far. Put the stuff on your on your smartphone and use Bluetooth. And I mean, I, I've mentioned before, <clears throat> I don't listen to the car radio, I haven't for over a year. I just listen to podcasts. so exactly what I want to listen to.
3: Yeah, it's cool.
4: Um, so, uh, besides, besides that sort of uh, freedom from the man kind of thing, what, what else about podcasts do you, do you find appealing about either podcasts specifically or just the idea of them?
3: Well, they, they survive into perpetuity. They, they live on by a, a link to click to hear it again, whereas a radio show, is, some radio shows keep it like that, but a lot of times you, just, you missed it. Yeah. Too bad. I guess now they're blending. They are blending. Uh, the upside is you have absolute freedom. The downside is it takes a little longer for everyone to know about it.
4: And no one's paying for any of it.
3: And it, you can do it for free. Yeah. So there's your trade. You know, freedom is always, the cost of freedom is not paying. Yeah, freedom it's not, is no free, pay.
4: Freedom is free.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they say, it isn't free, you know. Yeah, I guess not with parking and lunch, but uh, close. Um, I I think it'll be looked upon in the future, uh, hoping we have one, is that uh, these were the last people saying exactly what they meant.
4: I'm not quite sure what the demographic for Succotash is at the moment uh, as as our listenership is growing, but in the interest of uh, comedy nerds, which seem to be the, the majority of those Currently drawn to podcasts featuring comedians. Um, how has the how's the landscape changed in the time that you've been doing? I mean, it's it's changed a lot. Just sort of specifically for somebody trying to get in comedy, how's how has the the opportunities shifted? How have the gigs changed? That sort of thing.
3: It's not as unique as it used to be. If you go to a club, you yep. have decades of memories of going to comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. You will pick and choose how you do it much more differently than, ooh, i got to get out. I don't even care who's there. I just have to get out of my house. There's not enough in my house to keep me there. <laughs> they didn't install a big thing on my wall that gives me a hundred separate things I do just looking at the wall of my house. Yeah. I'm not stir-crazy in my house anymore. I have a thousand little distractions within my home. There's 20 different things I can click to to have comedy fed to me. Yeah. Like a little baby bird at home i don't have to fly anywhere right and i've seen it for years add to that america has had its education curve changed defunded so jokes about certain things don't work the way they used to mm. add to that now there's a uh a big push for youth to be the the most important part so it's it's more how new you are rather than how funny or how many years of experience you had. Like an old comic was respected in the old days just by the fact that he was there that long. And you would watch the old technique and go, that's a, that's great old technique. But now uh, it's, it's more like, it's like, you know, in the movie Predator, he'd slide the visor of his helmet down and all he could read was heat. Yeah. It seems like the business runs on a sort of infrared screening system, where it just runs and <laughs> spots the brightest orange object and makes puts that on a show. You know?
4: Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah.
3: It doesn't read light. just reads heat. Yeah. Um, and then there are miracles that occur in its midst. There's a lot of brilliant young people now that I think deserve more than they get. Certainly Lee Camp, Jamie Kilstein. There's a lot of people coming out that are stunning new voices. Zach Kahn. Provenza's kind of... I think Paul is giving more people a chance to see the good stuff than practically anyone else now.
4: And there's a lot of these younger guys that are realizing there's there's you know more than one way to skin a career. You know, they're doing podcasts. They're doing... Uh, videos on YouTube. They're doing these things that are maximizing their exposure,
3: you know. Uh, and now it's I, I think the last thing the networks expected they would have to do is pay attention to a YouTube. Mm-hmm. But now they have to. Yeah. And over a million hits, they have to have a division in the network that looks at these YouTubes.
4: Yeah, I would think so.
3: So, you know, the next big star could be the German Shepherd who's being tortured because the cat's getting all the good treats. Yeah, no. Now he's the star of a big. He's driving around a limo, <laughs> and the comics all bitter, going, "Yeah, what can he have? Twelve-year career tops."
4: <laughs> and he needs a next-door neighbor. <laughs>
3: yeah. hey. hey, Shep we'll be right back. <laughs>
4: Uh, if people want to uh, get, a, uh, get a taste of, uh, of Rick Overton, uh, is there a, a website that you keep up that they can go to?
3: Not a good one, no. I, uh, I do have YouTubes up. Okay, that's good. And so that's uh, knowing that that is where things are going, I'm, I'm sort of also focusing there, too.
4: That's good. And you can uh, hear you uh, appearing fairly regularly on the uh, David Feldman Comedy Podcast.
3: Yes, uh, coming up in Bad Teacher.
4: Oh, really? So bad teacher. Make yes. sure you catch him in that. Uh, and, of course, if you want to find out, uh, want to see him in all the things he's been in that you can track down, just go to imdb.com and just look up yeah. his filmography. You'll see that he's been in dozens of movies.
3: Scroll down.
4: Yep. Well, Rick, thanks very much for, uh, for talking to us. And uh, there's a whole lot more about Rick Overton that we didn't get into in this interview that maybe we'll get into in another subsequent interview. I look forward to it. Interview. The, the Secret life of Rick Overton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a reason
3: for that. Thanks, Ricky.
4: Rick Overton. um, You can actually hear more of Rick Overton on a special episode 6.5 of Suckatash, which will be coming out uh, on iTunes hopefully in about, uh, maybe about a week, week and a half. We'll see. My uh, uh, producer and engineer... Joe Polino is uh, taking a well-deserved vacation and will be out of town for a couple weeks. So to fill the gap, I will uh, uh, ladle in some more Rick Overton for you. So take advantage of that. Next up, we have the Sal and Angelo podcast with Sal Kalani and Angelo Lorenzetti. Uh, Their guest on this clip is uh, Tony Kameen and uh, these guys are a couple of San Francisco comics. They, uh, they record this uh, podcast. uh, Well, probably about as regularly as we we record ours. Um, But they've been kicking around the open mic scene. They've got uh, Careers starting to happen. They had a chance to interview Tony Kameen, who made his comedy Bones here in San Francisco before he headed to New York a few years ago. Tony's put together a popular live show you may have heard about called The Marijuana Logs with a couple of other comedians, Arj Barker and Doug Benson, that's been around. uh played uh, probably about, I don't know, five to 10 years ago for uh, a couple of years all around the country. And uh, so Tony was back in town for a bit and uh,
10: talked to these guys. Doug Benson told me that one of you or Arch came up with the idea, but he's the one who took the reins because it would have gotten done that way.
8: Um, <laughs> well, that's why that's why I asked him to be in it. Oh, you asked him? I asked him to be in it because I know me and Arch can't fucking type uh, at the time, and you know, so we asked Doug because he was uh, he had access to a copier. <laughs> 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 really? And I know he was type A, so yeah, like that's probably that's kind of true in a way, probably.
10: Wow, all right, and so then how many, uh, how long does tour go for? Like, what, how many shows? It's kind of off did. and on.
8: We did first, we did, you know, I think we got we got Montreal after from a tape from one of the earliest shows.
10: Wow, you sent one tape in for Montreal, and that
8: was yeah. it, yeah, and then uh, then yeah. comedy clubs for a long time, and then like uh, Melbourne Festival in Australia, and then you know, led to New York eventually. Wow. Yeah, you did off-Broadway, Broadway, right? For a whole year, yeah.
10: So did that change everything in your comedy career?
8: It kind of fucked it up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, does it feel like when you do the the shows, the marijuana... You can loads, say it. Uh... You said marijuana. Hey, well, like, thanks for doing the research.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. That's why I'm asking all the questions. <laughs> no. Do you feel like the the audience?
8: Are you the treasure? Like, what do you bring the, to the stream, man? Right? I was gonna say people
10: love him. He's so lovable. Otherwise, he'd be gone. Do you feel like the expectations were high? Like, you guys just had to smoke tons of
6: weed for your for because that was the whole
10: premise. Well, some
8: right? not really when it first started. We do comedy clubs. You know, it's like people. It's assumed that we know. We're the ones who know about marijuana, but we have done like. Uh, like Humboldt County and the places where they really know a lot about weed so they really call us on our shit. because actually the dynamic of the whole show has changed when we do up there because they know more about the subject than we do and they're from the other end they're like the sellers of right, it right, right, the growers right. so that, that sometimes we'd be like oh you know like they'll say something like that it's actually like this like real technical <laughs> notes on um, thank
10: you. here's the prima donna salad <laughs> Thanks. Tony you ordered fucking salmon salad
8: yeah, I have high cholesterol. so... now you your breath
10: enough. is gonna Thanks stink, so and we're all gathered around this mic.
8: I won't. I'm gonna eat, eat it till later. <laughs> i That's why I got a cold dish. <laughs> I'm just involved. Um, not very well.
10: How did it screw? <laughs> how did it screw up your career?
8: I, had to go to, uh, I love New York, so I moved there. I stayed there, and you had to sort of sort of start over, like in New York, you right. know, as a comic. You know, just getting established and everything. Uh, so you know, so that was. It's just you know, it's hard. New York's fucking tough, man.
10: Right, right, right. You didn't want to go to LA.
8: I already. That's where I lived before. Oh, really? Like that's where I lived before we got the gig in uh, New York. I lived in LA. So okay. Then you guys. I just like. I just like moved out my stuff. You know. Wow. I also met my wife. So you
10: You met her in New York. Yeah. So you're still in New York. Still in New York. Is it still? I mean, how is it? A little humid. (laughs) Yeah. It's humid.
8: (laughs) How's the scene?
10: You still like? uh, I don't know. I'm a little man. I have a
8: dog. a wife. I come home to them. They're cute. But all you do is stand up, right? No, I write... Who do you write for? Nobody. I'm, you know, I write <laughs> myself. and There's a lot of projects. I can't even get into them. You want them alphabetically? <laughs> or according to priority? <laughs> well, I
10: don't know. I'm uh, curious about you. I'm curious. I, you know, you hear the, the marijuana laws, I got a little gigs then... here
8: and there, you know. Um, it... And uh, I do some stand-up, but uh, not that. Not enough, you know. I is, do more.
10: is New York where you're going to stay?
8: Yeah, but, you know, I still look for jobs in L.A. and stuff like, you know. Right, 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 but, um, writing stuff. Yeah, you know, we got a little house there, so you got to kind of go wherever the jobs are, yeah. You know? The
10: thing's good with the lady?
8: Oh, she's great, yeah. Fellow artist. hmm uh-huh, hmm
4: uh-huh. Sal and Angelo podcast. You can find that at uh, uh, salcalani.com slash podcasts or iTunes. Next up, we have our burst of durst uh, Will Durst, you can, uh, of course, get it at willdurst.com. He's also always tweeting at Will Durst on Twitter, and uh, he's providing these special reports just for us.
9: Hey guys, Will Durst here, and you don't need me to tell you that America is broke. Not just broke. We're dead broke, flat busted, unflush, tapped to the max, no bread or cabbage or scratch to speak of. Now we are moolahless, holes in our pockets, echoing piggy banks totally out of chump change without simoleons, hands clean of any filthy, lucre moths are flying out of our wallets because we got us a dearth of dead presidents is what we got. And it's high time that we start acting like it, which means, for one, stop giving money to countries that just use it to buy guns they then turn on us. You insist on helping them out, give them the guns. We buy in a much bigger bulk than they can and can get them cheaper. Also, we might get a kickback. And we could be taking advantage of this Arab Spring Democracy movement. Provides us with a great opportunity to lay off some of our underperforming dictators. But we all know it's not going to be enough to make a few minor cuts in the budget. We also have to work on increasing our revenue streams. And I don't mean sun off ancient public institutions like Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Her resale value ain't what it used to be. Besides, that's the kind of short-term thinking that got us into this mess. What we need to do is to tap into the new economy. Now, what if we use the FDA to create and sell an anti-SARS serum? Uh, We start manufacturing the antidote right now, then create a huge SARS scare and have the government approve cream or clear or whatever immediately available at your local pharmacy just in time for cold and flu season. Then we add to the panic with a bunch of infomercials, you know, news stories. Come on, the government's already lying to us on a regular basis. The least we can do is figure out how to make some money off of it. If the SARS thing is a bit scary, we just spread rumors of... Killer carnivorous snails and change the product to snail repellent. It's an imaginary crisis. Hey, worked for the Tea Party. <laughs> for succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst.
1: Honored friends, Bill Haywad here for Henderson's innovation in trousers and pantaloons since 1896 in this great country the pants you wear make a statement about where you stand not just physically but also on the very issues that shape us as a free and style conscious people now it's easy to tell friends family co-workers even anonymous passers-by how you feel about today's most important issues with Henderson's new republican fit jeans Republican fit jeans lean firmly but gently to the right and feature drastic cuts in the seat and thigh while still Expecting your stomach's inalienable right to expand in our great nation's free market economy. Republican fit jeans are pro-life, pro-gun, and anti-immigration. But loose enough to let you enjoy giving a swift kick to the socialist big brother nanny state with every step you take. And if blue state politics are more to your liking, we also offer Henderson's new Democratic fit jeans. Democratic Fit Jeans lean gently but firmly to the left and feature a generous increase to your seat and thigh while still regulating your stomach's ability to monopolize surrounding body parts. Democratic Fit Jeans are pro-choice, pro-healthcare reform, and compostable, but tight enough to let you enjoy giving a swift kick to the fascist corporate oligarchy with every step you take. In these troubled times, don't let your pants get caught on the fence. Let your fellow citizens know how you're voting with an uncompromising pair of Republican-fit or Democratic-fit jeans from Henderson's Innovation in Trousers and Pantaloons since 1896. And now, back to more of Suck Attach. Our final clip of this episode is from Sklarboro
4: Country. It features the identical twin comedians, Jason Sklar and Randy Sklar. And uh, I, I gotta tell you, I'm a little envious of these guys. They've got about 48 episodes under their belt. And uh, they've got their own language, they've got their own slang terms, and their listeners, they, they write in and use these terms, and they've got like a flag, and somebody did a map of Sklarborough country, and it's frankly, it's very impressive. Uh, but these guys are funny. Uh, now, you don't need to know a whole lot about sports to enjoy Sklarborough country, but they talk about sports so much on this show that I think it really would help if you did. Uh, I'm not that much into sports, and I still get a big laugh out of the show. But it seems like you really would dig it even more. Anyway, let's uh, let's have a listen here as they talk about uh, professional badminton.
2: Last week, the Badminton World Federation announced a new outfit policy, Jay, that will take effect June 1st, just in time for their highly watched World Championships. Oh. Rand, oh, thank God! Yes, all women will be made to wear skirts. Quote, in order to, and this is a quote from the BWF. The BWF. To ensure attractive presentation of badminton. What does that, that mean? That was not our quote. That what is not does our that quote. mean? Translation of that quote, time to hoard up for the ratings, badminton ladies. That's right. Hey, it, up. it worked for the Real Housewives of... Wherever, a, wherever, of all those places. Yeah, ladies. Yeah, yeah ladies. You're going to have to look like you're going to a frat party at Florida State. That's it. Or you're like an extra on Gossip Girl. Or you're taking care of the Sheen Twins. Whore Valanche! Bruce Valanche. Avalanche. 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 A Valanche Avalanche. That's a Valanche. It was like, oh, well, we mini, just did. Was the, a we, there was a whore Valanche. There was a metaphor Valanche. There was a whore Valanche. And then within that, there was a. There was a, a Bruce mini. Valanche, and then it was a <laughs> Valanche Valanche. And. It just, it's it's such a shock that the Badminton World Federation would alienate its rabid fan base with a move like this. Yeah, because so many millions of, I mean, it's just a large portion. Uh, there's millions of people watching badminton. And millions of those people Are watch women. women's badminton, and they could care less what they're wearing. They're into it for the rallies, Jay. For the living legends of the game, Ran, like... Legends like, and don't forget, and then there's Sanjay... Sanjay, I made that up. I'm Living fun. legends of the game. Oh, and Sanjay you know, it's even a male name. It is. It's a woman named Sanjay. You know, and you know the guy who came up with this whole dress code thing. And yes, it was a guy. It had to have been a dude. Maybe it was the same guy who pooped in the pooped uh, in the gallon, <laughs> jug. the gallon jug. You never know. You know, he started with the old. This was his argument: like you think it's hard to get people to watch the WNBA. Yeah. Try adding, t- try taking away all the action and adding tiny rackets. They did that argument? That was his argument, and then he went back, laughed, and then went back to reading Maxim Europe. Which Maxim, in our minds, who said it before, I don't know if you said it on the show, it, Maxim is the FHM of magazines. It really is. By the way, uh, Peter Moses, our lovely researcher, said that badminton would always be ugly. Even if it were a game played by naked supermodels, it would still be ugly. Or a sweaty Marsha Gay Harden. So... In his eyes, it's all a moot point. It's no matter how high the skirts are, it doesn't matter. Well, a moot point or not, that's not the case for the political and social groups around the globe who are up in arms about this. Jay, the Pan-Asian, Malaysian, Islamic Party, they're upset. Wow. that The British Parliament, they're upset. The Ban Parliament, they're upset. A few of the members of the Ban Parliament, they don't know why, <laughs> but they're upset. The entire badminton Asia confederation. In probably their first press release ever came out against the policy. That was their first press release. They were probably like, I can't believe it. Guys, we got to get it out of press Well, release. I feel like those guys will go with anything. They like supported beheadings in the, for the semifinals the loser, for the losers. The losers. Yeah. yeah, and 12-year-old he-she's. As, as like, shuttlecock boys? Yes, yes. Boy slash girls. Boy slash girls. So to offend them, it's a big deal. Hermaphrodite ball shuttlecockers. I love it. <laughs> Just call them little shuttlecockers. <laughs> little shuttlecockers. That's co- what I call them when they <laughs> call them. that little shuttlecocker go! And then you would get arrested. The Badminton World Federation was so inundated with criticism over this whole skirt thing, Jay, that mm-hmm. the, they did the only logical thing that they could what, what did they, they could do? think of in this instance. They pushed the police enforcement date back a month. Oh, okay. So... So that people could bitch about it long. That's all. They, they did the one thing that was at their disposal in that moment. And by the way, Iran, I'm fine with the world rising up and fighting against this injustice. But but, I am but, too. But, but come on. Pan-Asian, Malaysian, Islamic party, relax. It's, you got, They have to relax. Of all the, it's not like a Danish guy is drawing cartoons about it. No. All right? Settle down. Don't act like they're desecrating your version of the NFL. It's, it's women's badminton. Honestly, I didn't know that there, that women and men played that, separately. I thought it was a mixed doubles until I the time. Until I read this story. That's And that's on us, really. Honestly, though, the saddest thing, and I'll just say this about this, this is my opinion, that, that badminton, they went about it the wrong way. We agree with it or disagree with the policy. I get the whole wanting to raise the profile of a sport that has no profile. It has no profile. But you, you don't start with the skirts. You start and you build excitement from the inside of the sport. With the game itself. You change the rules. Like how? Like this. All right, number one pregnant division
4: all right jason and randy sklar you can find them on earwolf.com which has become a uh, a hotbed of podcasts so that's earwolf.com also look for them specifically on itunes if you will you can also look for us succotash succotash show on itunes and uh, i've been your host mark Hershon. thanks again to joe polino have a good vacation joe please thank you. Please remember, if you enjoyed the uh, the Rick Overton interview, to also listen for episode six point five in about a week and a half with the entire Rick Overton interview. And until next time, please remember to pass
1: the succotash, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy podcast about comedy podcast with your host Mark Hershon. Find us on the web at succotashshow Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend us on Facebook or email Suckatash at M-A-R-C at SuckatashShow.com. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please use your medication only as directed. And when you have a moment, pass the (laughs) Suckatash.